0: Hello, simpletons. You're listening to the Minimalist Private Podcast. Mm. Ryan, today mm. we're going to talk about emotional intelligence. Let's do it. That almost sounds like an oxymoron in a way. It does, doesn't it? Because we think of intelligence being a thought thing. Right. And then we think of emotion being, you know, it's like a head and the heart thing. Right. And yet, we know a lot of intelligent people who are sort of brain smart, but they're really stunted emotionally, right? Mm. And you are one of the most in, emotionally intelligent people I know. Mm. And it's- Gift and a curse, I'll tell you what. Well, you're able to pick up on, on certain things from other people, but also you have a, one might call an appropriate amount of empathy, mm. where you don't batter someone with it. Yeah. But you have a, generally a level of care. Yeah. And so that brings me to the first question here. We'll get to more about less in a moment. But Seth says, what does it mean to be emotionally intelligent? Yeah. And I was thinking about this question, Ryan. What does it mean to be emotionally intelligent? For me, it, there's something to do with blame here. Hmm. And we did your birthday episode a few months ago when you turned 39 for the second time. <laughs> 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 Oh, uh, uh, you mean pre-41? This is your fifth decade, we'll say. Right, right. Yeah, it's, anyway. it's, it's your five. Yeah. Anyway, uh, what, I, what we talked about there was maturity being the ability to not have to blame everyone for everything that's going on. Now, yeah. there are sort of two types of blame. We can assign fault. If someone hits you with their car on a fender bender. Mm-hmm you can say oh this person's obviously at fault the cop will write a ticket to that person or whatever and you you move on right, yeah, right. the blame that i'm talking about is that person has made me feel angry yeah. that person has made me feel upset i'm blaming johnny jump up who hit me with their car mm. now i'm angry because of them yeah no, no 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 that's not why you're angry you're angry because maybe they're at fault here but the way you feel has a whole lot more to do with who you're assigning power to. So someone who wouldn't be considered emotionally intelligent would
1: like, look at themselves, I'm unhappy and I'm unhappy because uh, Josh didn't give me a hug when I walked in the studio this morning.
0: Yes, my this- unhappiness has nothing to do with me. It has to yeah. do with others. Yeah. Hmm. And the problem with that is the opposite. the opposite is also true. My happiness has to do with others as well. I need you in order to be happy. Mm. I need you to be fulfilled. I need you to be complete. I need you to feel pleasure. I need you for my contentment, my peace, my freedom, whatever it might be. And of course, you don't. Which brings me to the more about less segment. There's this essay that's up on our website it's called Nobody Has the Power to Upset You. Mm. You can find it at the slash upset. We'll also put a link to this in the show notes. Your friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, loved ones, and even complete strangers appear to have an unfortunate superpower. They can change your mood from joyous to sad, from chipper to insecure, from smiling to upset in an instant A single cavil, niggle, or snide comment can send you into a spiral of anxiety, agony, anger, and despair. Why? Because you've outsourced your happiness. Without realizing it, you cling to the admiration of others. If they like me, I'll be happy. Mm. If they don't, I'll be unhappy. This isn't love. It's relationship consumerism. Who told you that you need their veneration? Even the people closest to you, your parents, your spouse, your child, your best friend. Who told you that you'd be a lesser human without their so-called respect? No one. That's merely the story you tell yourself. Sadly, you're correct. If you need someone's acceptance... They will forever wield a rubber stamp over your internal state. When you no longer need their validation, however, you immediately recover the power you relinquished. In turn, you reclaim your freedom. How is this possible? By letting go. How do you let go of the need for approval? You mustn't do anything. You must only cease your clinging what others think, what they believe, what they expect. These are bars to a prison cell. To break free, you must realize that those bars are lining their cage, not yours. You can walk away at any point. Their opinions don't matter because nobody's opinion matters. The only thing that matters is the truth. And the truth is that you are already complete. Indeed, in an empty room, all alone, you are complete. So the need for praise can only incomplete you. Once you understand this, not in your head, but in your heart, you will be free. Ironically, in this state, you will earn more respect than ever. You just won't need it to be happy.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. So. I love it. We talked about this just a titch on the minimal episode. I, I, my minimal maxim was that line about the prison cell, the, the prison, the cage, basically. Yeah. And other people have created this cage. Well, but we've really created it. We've given them the power. A few weeks ago, we talked about with uh, Amanda Montel, we talked about the difference between power and freedom, how they're essentially the same thing. Having power over other people limits their freedom. Mm. But having power over yourself increases your freedom. So if someone else has power over you, you have lost your freedom. And so where's, where does emotional intelligence come into play here? Well, it's that last paragraph about once you understand this, not in your head, but in your heart, you will be free. Mm. But once you understand what? That you're already complete. Mm. And that you are already happy. It's already within you. There's no external happiness. Yeah. There's something to do with uh
1: when a negative emotion arises if you can look at it in a healthy way instead of just reacting to it. Cause that's you know what and I still do it sometimes, but I did it way more, you know. Of course, as a child, right? Like as a as a toddler, all you are doing. Is reacting to these emotions. Yes, and as you get older, you kind of get them under control a little bit. But, um, but I was guilty of doing it a lot, uh, even throughout my twenties. Um, or worse, I was medicating myself to get away <laughs> from the emotions. That's right. But I think you know, someone with um, you know a, a good emotional intelligence, they can look at something that arises within them, and instead of blaming. They could be like, oh, OK, like, what is this a symptom of? Because like, I know um, I have family members who, you know, you didn't do this. You should have done that. And, like, I can't believe you. didn't. And I'm like, I, and I was just in Ohio. That's what I'm thinking about this. <laughs> and I'm like, I was like, there's expectations. You have expectations for me uh-huh. <laughs> that I had no idea you had, first off. Yes. And second off, you don't need me to do anything. Right. Um, maybe, you know, I could do something to hurt their feelings or worse. You know, like I said, if I don't do something. Don't mean an expectation that they never made me aware of. All of a sudden, their feelings are hurt. If if they were uh, emotionally intelligent, they could look at that and be like, "Oh, like it's not Ryan who's hurting me; it's my expectation of Ryan.
0: Yes, that is hurting me. That that's spot on. And I like what you're saying here because, in addition to blaming, there's two other words that rhyme with it. I, I remember all the time. So it's blaming, shaming, and naming. Mm. So let's talk about what is emotionally stunted, what is emotionally unintelligent, mm. when we constantly blame others for the way we feel, yep. not for the faults. We set those aside. Yes, someone's fault. They got into a fender bender with you. Right. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the way that I feel from that. Mm-hmm. So it's the blaming. I'm going to blame you for the way that I feel. Mm-hmm. The shaming, I can't believe you're the type of person who would make me feel that way, Ryan. Mm-hmm. And then the naming, name calling is another way to think about that. God, it's so stupid the way you do that, uh, you know, and, and it's like we do these things because we don't have the intelligence emotionally to be able to understand that they are wherever they are in life mm-hmm. with whatever baggage they've been carrying with them for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, and that baggage makes up a piece of who they are, especially if they're clinging to it, and we tend to cling to that baggage. man. It's so much easier when it's not our fault.
1: It's so much easier when, when we don't have to look in the mirror. We can just like, you know, it's the window mirror effect, right? Either you look in the mirror and you take responsibility or you can look out the window and just start pointing
0: fingers. Oh, man, it's not my fault. It's so-and-so's fault. I'm not willing to take ownership for anything. Yeah. But of course, if you want real freedom, it's taking ownership for all those feelings that we feel inside Yesterday, we had these technical difficulties and I remember walking to lunch and just sort of taking a break after we did the podcast and I just looked over at back and said i'm I'm really angry right now, but i'm not I'm, I'm doing my best not to show it yeah. right because what you just said about reacting. It's not that I can't acknowledge the anger because that's suppression. You don't want to suppress it either. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm angry right now. Mm -hmm. But if it manifests outwardly in rage, which it very well can. In fact, in our culture, we often prize rage. Oh, he's willing to really speak his mind. He's telling the truth. No, Mm -hmm. he's just being a dick. Right. (laughs) Oh, man. It makes me think of uh,
1: some old bosses we used to have. Right. And how I, and I, what sucks is like, I looked up to them. They were, you know, I wanted to model myself after them. And, uh, yeah, that's really just, that's just a sign of someone who doesn't know how to deal with their emotions.
0: Yeah. 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 And so let's talk about dealing with those emotions. The thing I wrote in the essay, Ryan, because people often ask, so I just put it in the essay to, to skirt this right away. How was this possible? You know, when I say when you no longer need their validation, you immediately recover the power you relinquished. In turn, you reclaim your freedom. Mm. Well, let's talk about that. So how do you reclaim your freedom? By, by not giving, not outsourcing that power to someone else. Mm. Because if m- my being upset hinges on your behavior, Ryan, then I'm giving you that power. And so I recognize I still do that. I do it all the time. Mm. But We all do. Yes. uh, And, but the, the key is, can I do it less? Well, yes. How can I do it less? It's Mm -hmm. by understanding that outsourcing is what's making me miserable. It's not Ryan who's making me miserable. Mm. It's not Jordan or Sean or Danny or Malibama or Jacob that's making me miserable. It's always me Mm. who's making me miserable. Yeah. And I, whenever I talk about this on social media, people are like, yeah, in an ideal world, that's right. But, you know, Anthony Fauci's making me miserable or it's Whatever. You know, Donald Trump is making me miserable mm-hmm. or Joe Biden is making me miserable. Well, yeah. Uh, okay. It, it, and it's like what they're saying is, yeah, yeah, that's true, except for these people who are making me miserable. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, no. Because those people are making other people happy. Yeah. Because they've also out. So it's the same problem. And our problem is we want to be happy. Yeah, Your pursuit of happiness is the thing that's making you miserable. Mm -hmm. And without the pursuit of happiness, there is no misery outside of physical pain. Mm -hmm. And even then, the needing of the the removal of all pain, of all misery, that's a a type of chase as well. Man, I haven't been looking at news for
1: going on a month now Hmm. and um i finally got back to that because i don't even know what happened something happened i was like started looking and then like i just got back into my old ways addicted right back to it um and had to eventually i made a a a deal with a friend of mine who he was kind of going through the same thing of like looking at the news and being miserable we're like okay we won't look at news and we've been like checking in with each other and uh, we're both doing great with it but what i'm realizing is that you were outsourcing your discontentment to the news media. And that's exactly what they want. Like they want you to get mad. They you want go. you to get upset. They want you to keep looking. Yes. They want you to look up for a follow-up story and this injustice and that injustice. And, and why do they want it? Because they want your eyeballs. They want your time and attention. So anyone... They want to make you feel inadequate so they can sell you stuff. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. And uh, I'll tell you, man, there are, <sighs> there's no reason, like I'm, when I'm discovering, rediscovering, is that there's no reason to look at the news? Like it is, it is. Um, there's something that uh, you know, that I picked up on the other day with the there's some kind of different variant, right? With the with the with COVID. Yeah, I don't even know how it was Instagram or you know some, some a tweet or something where I saw that. And even then, like I wasn't like, oh, I got to figure out the new variant. It's like, mm-hmm. what what is that information going to do for me? Like right. I'm still going to wash my hands. <laughs> I'm still going to like take precautions to not get sick. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, it doesn't matter what variant is out there it's not it's not going to actually change my behavior that, that's right, but we but we make up these these false i want to say false emergencies, but that's not really it, but we make up these false scenarios in which we should care about, and then we lose sleep over it mm-hmm. and oh well if if so and so would just x, y and z like life would be so much better. It's like if you stop giving your attention to what the news is feeding you, your life can just be better
0: instantly, yeah. <laughs> You're bringing up a great point, Ryan, because mm, how do you sell something to someone who doesn't want it? You make them miserable. It's so much easier to make someone discontented, to make them frenetic, Mm -hmm. to make them feel chaotic and incomplete. Then you can sell them the product or service that fixes their problem that you created as a media organization in the first place. Yeah. What's the opposite of that? Take a peaceful, tranquil person. Think of a picture of a really tranquil person. Think of J. Krishnamurti or a mm. monk or so uh, a, a mystic living 27,000 or 18,000 feet in the Himalayas, right? Mm-hmm. Good luck trying to sell them your product or service, yeah. CNN or Fox News or MSNBC. Yeah. Oh, man. They have no need for it because they're already content. They've already identified what is enough. They already know what is peace. And anything you're trying to sell them is going to disrupt their peace. It just makes me think of the, uh,
1: you know, once you step back from something, you can kind of see a little bit more clearly. But it makes me think of like the news and how it has this cycle of making you miserable. And then it cuts the commercial. And it's like feeling down, (laughs) feeling depressed. You might want to talk to your doctor about whatever. I mean, there's something very, uh, I don't know, something funny, uh, uh, haha
0: funny, and also something like not right about it funny. Yeah, there's something dystopian about it. It feels like a modern day Monty Python skit. Yeah, right. We're going to make you depressed and then we're going to sell you the antidepressants. Yes. To fix the depression that we've created with our chaos, with our chirons, with our lower thirds, with the tickers, with the frenetic pace, with the breaking news. Yeah. Man, if news is always breaking, then it's broken. Yeah. Mm. You can tweet that podcast, Sean. All right, Ryan, we got some stuff to talk about. Before we do, though, I was thinking about this text message we received and I responded to the person because they were going back and listening to our archives at one point and they're like... At one point, I'm sure I recommended, like, hey, I like to listen to both sides. I like to listen to a Republican podcast right. and a Democrat. So yeah. I know I, I had recommended one point, I didn't recommend it. Here's what I, I listened to. There's a podcast called Best of the Left. Mm. And then here's the right wing equivalent of that, right? Mm. And so someone texts me, hey, what was that other one that you recommend? And I'm like, I don't listen to any news or any politics now. It's all rotten. Yeah. That was my, my response to them. Yeah. Because I'm willing to admit that I've that stuff was making me miserable. Now, it mm. wasn't enough where I was like, oh, I'm I feel like a miserable person. I feel ashamed. It was just like I was grasping for it. I was it was this low grade misery that would permeate the days and it creates fear. Mm. It creates this scarcity mindset. It yeah. creates a mindset that I am I'm not enough. And I need some sort of outside solution in order to be me.
1: Because that's what we're doing. Like, you know, we're and we've had this conversation about voting before and if it actually does anything. And like, really, when you look at politicians like, yeah, I'm going to vote, I'm going to exercise my right to vote. But I also recognize that like it's not up to a politician to make my life better.
0: Yes. And I think you can you can recognize both. Like, Mm -hmm. hey, I'm willing to vote, but I'm not going to merely outsource all of my contentment My ownership. Yeah. My, if you want to call it responsibility, your rights, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. If we give that to someone else, we've completely given up our freedom. Yeah. Oh no, my guy lost. Now I have to be miserable for the next four years. My life sucks now. Yeah. When it's not appreciably different. Yeah. When you really, as you said, step back and take a look. Yes, you may not be getting everything you want, but when's the last time you got everything you wanted anyway? Yeah. Let's check in with the live stream here. Alabama. we have uh, some questions. All right.
2: We have a question from Alex. He says, personally, I suggest not accepting a task or responsibility unless I understand it first. How would you suggest approaching to promote understanding? Mm.
1: I like his sentiment there because what he's saying is if someone says, hey, can you do X, Y, and Z for me? He's going to ask some more questions. Well, what does that involve? Mm-hmm. What kind of time commitment is that? Yeah. What, time, what, what kind of attention is that going to be? How, you know, how much work is involved? So, um, no, I, I love I love the, the sentiment of that question where instead of just saying yes, because that's what we all want to do, we just mm-hmm. want to be the yes, man right. or woman. And why is that? Because we want to add value to other people's lives. We want right. to please other people. We yes. want to be liked uh-huh. and we want people to think that we like them. Or we want
0: people to know we like them. <laughs> yeah, and th- so these are, different, these are different bars to the prison cell. I want to be, so I'm just speaking for myself here. Mm-hmm. I want to be liked. Mm-hmm. There's a bar. Mm-hmm. Here's a big bar for me. It's a big, thick, terrible bar. I want to be understood. Mm-hmm. And if you don't understand me, then I'm going to be discontented. Yeah. Now, I've walked away from that within the last, I don't know, year or so, the, the need to constantly be understood. Because yeah. recognizing that I'm never going to be understood by everyone, there are people who think Dave Chappelle's not funny. <laughs> what am I supposed like? like okay, what yeah, are you gonna, yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. And so, like, if that's the case, then I'm certainly going to be misunderstood, especially when you and I start talking about some of these more esoteric things mm-hmm. that go beyond sort of decluttering your closet or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because we've dealt with the decluttering of your closet. Now we're talking about decluttering your emotions in mm-hmm. a way. Yeah. And so, I, the the one thing about the question though is, our society has told us that we have rights and responsibilities, mm-hmm. and we don't have any inherent rights. like Because right. someone a few hundred years ago who thought they owned other people said you have these particular rights Yeah, because you live on this patch of dirt. Mm-hmm. It's an absurd notion. Mm-hmm. Now, we can buy into these constructs if we want, but just know that there is not an inherent right. And because there aren't inherent rights there aren't inherent responsibilities either. Mm. Now, if some people might see this as a nihilistic view, I think it's just the opposite. I get to choose what I'm responsible about. Yeah. Because of the the alternative to that is, well, here are the responsibilities that are dictated to me by my society or by my peer group or by my boss or organization. And in order to be a responsible human, which we're told is virtuous or good, I have to do these things that are making me miserable. Mm. Well, when is it virtuous or good to be miserable? Mm. Another
2: yeah. question? Yeman has uh, a question. I have immersed myself in hustle culture a few years ago due to my financial situation. Now that I've gotten my finances in order, I'm finding it difficult to detach from hustle culture. Any tips? Mm-hmm. Esther also adds, I like that question, how do you intentionally slow down?
0: So, uh, is it Yaman? Yeah. Yes. Okay, Ye- Ye- he's, Yaman, he's actually, think- he came to our Atlanta event, remember? Oh, yeah. Um, I did an episode of um, Minimalism Today with him a year ago, I, Well, almost a year ago now. It came out on Patreon. You can go back and check that out. We had a really great conversation. But he, um, his question is basically about, hey, I've been told that hustle culture is good virtuous whatever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then the second person what was their name esther esther is saying how do i intentionally slow down mm. and it's like um the first thing that you do is you realize that going at this current speed is going to lead to a crash inevitably mm-hmm. i see it all the time up on sunset boulevard Where people are like driving their Lamborghinis at 100 miles an hour at a 35 mile an hour zone. There's crashes almost every day up there Mm. as a result. Mm. And people get arrested. Well, why is it? Because they're going too fast. Mm -hmm. They're going to crash. As soon as you see that the crash is the inevitable outcome of this... You begin to slow down on your own. You don't yeah. need a, a three-step recipe to slow down. You merely take your foot off the gas. It's
1: almost like, how can I responsibly drive 150 miles an hour in a 35-mile-an-hour zone? Yeah. Like, I, the, the question itself is, uh, yeah.
0: It doesn't match up. No, it doesn't. Mm. Let's move on to some uh, surprise questions we have here. Alabama put them together for us from some of our patrons. Jennifer has a question for us.
2: I'm known for being an employee that works long hours, at times being on call for weekends and vacations for years. While I enjoy the company and the people I work with, how do I move away from this expectation now that they've gotten used to it?
0: We talked about this a bit on the minimal episode, but I want to circle back here and and just say this. If they've gotten used to it, it's because you've made them used to That expectation, right? And it's not a bad thing. If you truly enjoy the work that you're doing, I work a ton and I'm obsessed about the work that we do. Mm -hmm. Truly obsessed. Um, In fact, I talk about these, we use words and we think of them as negative or positive. Right. When I say that competition is a mental illness, Mm -hmm. people will say, think I'm saying competition is a bad thing, Mm. right? Yeah. Because we hear mental illness, we, we say that. Well, no, I have a mental illness. It's called OCD. Mm. It's one of the best things that's ever happened to me because the attention to detail allows us to do certain things here Yeah. that, by the way, if we both had it, I think we'd drive each other crazy, right? <laughs> Probably, yeah. And so it's highly situational, right? Here's another one for you. Oh, it's so dirty. Mm. It's like, yeah, what else is dirty? Dirt. Where yeah. does everything grow from? Mm. The dirt. Yeah. And yet we use that word to say, oh, gross, that's, ugh, I got my hands all dirty. Yeah. Is that a bad thing? Well, when we use it that way, we think that it's bad. Yeah. And so I like to throw everything on its head and say, okay, what about obsession? Yeah, I'm obsessed about the work that we do, right? It's not a bad thing. In fact, if you see any sort of great creation, there was a high degree of obsession that went into that. Yeah. Now, if it's at a detriment to, your values, to your health, to your family, to the truth, if you're lying to yourself, whatever it might be, then yes, we want to question the, the behaviors that are leading to the sacrificing of one's values. Yeah. But if the work that you're doing is enabling you to be devoted to something that truly makes you feel alive, like my work does, mm-hmm. man, that's, that's a wonderful thing.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I'm trying to put myself in, uh, Jennifer's shoes here, and yes, she has created the expectation herself. So it was up to her to do that. It's up to her to create a new expectation. So you know, if I was you, Jennifer, I would go to your employer, and I would try to, uh, create a different expectation. And it doesn't have to be here's my list of twenty demands, Mm -hmm. but it could just simply be like, hey, um. I really want to do a great job for you in order for me to do that. Um, I I have to, you know, take a couple more hours off a week. And you're such a great boss that I know that you're going to support me on that. So having this conversation in a way where, A, you're putting everything on you. You're not putting it on the company. Mm -hmm. Anytime you say something negative, you put it on yourself. Anytime you say something positive, try to put it on the employer. Now, here's the thing is if the employer, if the culture says, no, Jennifer, if you don't, if you don't keep doing what you're doing, then we're going to have to let you go. Well, then that's a decision that Jennifer needs to make. Yeah, is it worth continuing, or is it time to maybe uh, branch somewhere else or do or do something else? There's not a right or wrong answer here. Uh, the only wrong answer is if Jennifer is continuing to do something that is uh, she's sacrificing her values for.
0: Right, and so with respect to the expectations that have been set forth, most of them are probably unspoken expectations. Yeah. And here's what I mean by that. If you don't know what the expectations are, it's because they're unspoken. You're assuming the culture, the boss, the company is expecting you to do A, B, C, X, Y, and Z Mm -hmm. every single day. And maybe some of those have been laid out for you, but maybe the others are just These expectations have built over time. So one of the things you can do is you can go to your boss or you can go to someone in the company and simply ask, what is expected of me? Because I feel like I'm working a ton of hours and sometimes I don't feel as pro- I'm as productive as I could be because I'm spending time on certain things that don't feel like I'm really adding value. Yeah. And going, going there and saying, I really want to be able to add value to this company. Can you help me reset the expectation so that the work that I'm doing is adding value to the people around me, mm. our customers, our clients, etc.? Because doing that is going to make you feel so much more rewarded. Yeah than if you're just doing busy work, responding to emails all day, because these are the unspoken expectations of the corporate culture. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I don't want to simplify this with Jennifer. I mean, it's, it takes a lot of work. It's a difficult thing to do, but the work will be worth it, uh, putting in the new expectations.
0: And I think showing up with kindness and self awareness, as as you talked about, yes. So showing up with that self-awareness of, Hey, there's this culture and Putting these things on me, that's the emotional intelligence. But also saying, um, here are some expectations that I'd like to set as well. Mm -hmm. But the only way you can do that is if you understand what their expectations are. Yeah. Let's move on to Kim's question.
2: I finally quit my stressful career after 30 years. Wow. How do I figure out what my next move is?
0: Well, the first problem we have is we assume there has to be a next move. Yeah. I need to do something else. Dude, when I left my, or when I got laid
1: off, going 100 miles an hour to zero, it, it's jarring. Mm-hmm. Because you're so used to doing.
0: You're so used to being busy. And it can lead to depression. Yeah. It can lead to a different kind of anxiety. I was feeling anxiety and stress in this corporate career, but now I'm feeling anxiety and stress because I don't know what to do. So first off, recognize there is not a thing to do. Mm -hmm. You weren't meant to do something. You weren't born to be an astronaut or a teacher or an accountant. That's also freeing because there are dozens, hundreds of things you could do. The question for me is, what is compelling to you? Mm -hmm. And then- If you find 10 things that are compelling to you, what is so compelling that you're willing to sacrifice for? You're willing to devote yourself to it. You're willing to suffer a little bit Mm. so that you can do that thing that you find to be so compelling. Now, why is it compelling? Because it's fulfilling. It's rewarding in ways that aren't pleasure seeking. It's rewarding in ways that are much deeper than simply feeling good in the moment.
1: Yeah. So how do you get there? What's the first step? I mean, Kim, if you're not clear on your values, like that's
0: that's where I would recommend to start. Yeah, I think it's a great place to start because I, yeah. if we don't understand what we value, we're often valuing other people's values. Mm-hmm. Here's what I'm supposed to value. Here is here is what the recipe of what is significant, what mm-hmm. is important. Mm-hmm. And yeah, these things are important to some people. That doesn't mean that they're necessarily important yeah. to you. The one thing I'll say is like for me
1: the like one thing I know I can always go to is contributing in a meaningful way. So it's not just telling people yes, but it's like finding something like how can I contribute to a cause or uh, an event or whatever it is. Um I know that like that's because it aligns with my values. I know that that's always something I'm going to feel um fulfilled by. I mean, you know, it's just a whole conversation we have with Ian about do you ever feel completely fulfilled? Uh, no, but there are moments of fulfillment, mm-hmm. and I know that like I will receive those
0: moments when I give. So, um, you know, when in doubt, Kim, give. Yeah, contribute. Yeah. Well, being able to add value to other people's lives is one. Of, now, you don't want to do that in the detriment of yourself, right? And so, if you're doing something that is draining you but helping others, in fact, you see this a lot of time, especially with mothers. They're like willing to take care of everyone in the family, make sure mm. the husband has something to eat and all four kids are packed and ready for school and their homework's done and yeah. they're getting to the sleep in time. They're getting their vitamins and no wonder you're feeling stressed out. There's nothing there for you. Yeah. And if you feel hollowed out by the experience, then I would encourage you to get really curious about mm. things that will satisfy you, which ultimately will, will lead to fulfillment. There's a difference between satisfaction and fulfillment, at least the way that I look at it. Mm. If you eat a really nourishing meal, you'll feel satisfied, right? Yeah, yeah. But eventually you'll be hungry again. You'll be unsatisfied, mm-hmm. right? But if you're constantly eating nourishing meal, meals every day, regularly, mm-hmm. there is a, a sense of fulfillment there, uh, of health, of nutrition and I think we can get that intellectual and emotional Nutrition as well. Mm. If we get really curious about the things that do fulfill us, and so getting back to the conversation of what do you find to be compelling, there are probably a dozen things you can name right now that is that are compelling to you, and it could be something as simple as I really like this TV show. Okay, that's a great start. Well, what do you like about it? Let's get layers below that, right? Oh, you know, I I really enjoy swimming. Okay, great. You can do that, but how do I how do I get deeper with that? Why is swimming really compelling to me. And is this something I can turn into a passion? Maybe not. Maybe it's just an interest. And that's fine too. You can fill your life full of interests, but if you can find something that you're willing to devote your life to, it's not going to feel like hustling. You'll be Mm. hustling doing it, but you're not going to feel hurried. You're going to feel compelled by yourself, not by the people forcing these decisions onto you. I love
1: that, man. So it's like, you know, get clear on what your values are and then get curious about. And that's those are great first steps figuring out what to do with your time. Yeah. Yeah. Ben has a question for us.
2: How do I prepare myself adequately to have uncomfortable conversations with people?
1: You touched on it earlier, Josh, about being kind, Mm -hmm. about being self-aware. I I, I mentioned being compassionate. Mm -hmm. Like these are the ways that you have um, meaningful conversations with people. Now, you can do your part Mm. That doesn't mean they're going to do their part, their part, and that's okay. But how do you prepare for it? You prepare for it in that way. How can I come at this compassionately? How, how can I, uh, come at this and show the other person I understand where they're coming from? Mm -hmm. Cause that's really what we want. We want to be loved. We want to be understood. Mm. Um, which, you know, we could argue why we, why those are, you know, common ones, but that's, that's how difficult conversations happen. You show people that like, Hey, I love you and I understand you. Um, and if you take that approach, it's it's still a difficult conversation. They're called difficult conversations for a reason. Mm. But um, I know in my experience, they go, uh, you know, as smooth as they can go. They don't go perfect, but mm. it's a lot better than if I come at someone being accusatory.
0: Right. And I think that's what makes the conversation even more uncomfortable at times. So I would just step back and say, what makes your come? your conversation's uncomfortable. Mm, What makes the conversation uncomfortable? Quite often, it's the need to be loved Mm. as opposed to showing up and just being loving. Because if you can show up and be loving, regardless of whether or not you need their love, you need their validation, you need their veneration, you need their approval. If you just show up and and you're loving, if you're compassionate, you're understanding. Mm -hmm. What makes the conversation uncomfortable? needing a particular outcome. It could be validation. Mm. It could be, I need to convince them of something else. As soon as you need to convince someone of of something, you are unloving them. Mm -hmm. And so that's not showing up in a a loving way. So what is making your conversation uncomfortable? It's almost always because it's tethered to an outcome. Mm -hmm. Either you need something from them or you need them to change. Yeah. And either way, if you can let go of the need, it's no longer an uncomfortable conversation for you. Yeah.
1: Yeah, man. That's, I love that. Like letting go of the outcome and just focus on having that conversation Yeah. without an outcome in mind. Cause yeah, cause that's what starts. That's what, at least with me, it, it makes me start to, um, yeah, try and convince, try and pivot. And then often that leads into blaming and Mm -hmm. here's where I'm unhappy, you know, and it's okay to be unhappy, but, um, but yeah, if you let go of the outcome, then you can just have an honest conversation.
0: And if you approach it as an exploration together, Mm. rather than here's where we need to go, Mm. because here's where we need to go means there's a destination and I need to drag you along. Even if you don't want to go there Mm -hmm. in order for me to be fulfilled, I need to make you unhappy. I need to make you uncomfortable. I need to make both of us uncomfortable in order to get where we need to go. Mm. If you don't need to go anywhere, then you can explore together. Maybe you'll end up where you wanted to go in the first place, or maybe you'll end up somewhere else that is considerably better than the original destination you planned. Or maybe you'll both go in different directions because that's the best thing for you. Yeah. We have a question here from Bobby.
2: How do I establish boundaries with others without being accused of being overly sensitive? Mm.
0: Well, let's talk about being sensitive. This is another one of those words. Being sensitive as though it's a bad thing. Yeah, right? But to me, being sensitive is one of the best things in the world in many scenarios, not always. Yeah. But being sensitive means what? In fact, my you know, my daughter has sensory processing disorder. That's mm. what they call it, right? I don't call it that because she's just a highly sensitive person. Mm. And what does that mean? It really means she's just really in tune with the world. She hasn't developed the emotional calluses and the intellectual calluses to the environment. We live in a big city, and so it's easy. We have to tune certain things out. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. they'll start to drive us crazy. Yeah, And so... Being sensitive, though, to those things, though, is really what experience is about. That's what living life is about, having a particular sensitivity. Because if you have a sensitivity to the world, you can appreciate the birds as you see them flying toward the horizon over the beautiful ocean and the sunset. Or you can just drive right past it and say, oh, yeah, look, it's the ocean again, right? Mm. That second person lacks a particular sensitivity.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. It's almost like if someone came at me and they were like, you're being oversensitive. I would be like, and, wh- and why are you, why does that even matter? Like, yeah. why are you trying to make me feel bad about that?
0: That's the the naming, right? The yeah. Name calling. Right. Like, and, and the shaming together. Right. Because they're saying you're not supposed to be this sensitive. Yeah. I would argue the opposite. We human beings are supposed to sense the world around us. It's in our nature Mm. to be in tune with the world. Otherwise, 15,000 years ago, Ryan, we would have died because some creature would have eaten us if we weren't sensitive to the sounds, the smells, the sights, everything that's going on around us. What we've done is we've put ourselves in these office towers and towers that we live in, the ivory towers that we live in, Mm. and we've become unsensitive. We've desensitized ourselves yeah. to the world around us. One of the reasons that we're so discontented is because we are not sensitive enough.
1: Yeah. And I would just kind of echo what I was saying earlier about just showing compassion. So if you're asking Bobby for someone to respect a boundary of yours, it's going to be hard to show them compassion if they're coming at you, calling you names and making accusations and trying to make you feel bad about the person that you are but if you can hold that context of compassion then uh again that's conversation is going to go as smooth as possible so um what t- it doesn't matter what what name someone calls you or or what they accuse you of what matters is are they willing to support you in your boundary so i know um i have a family member again like just just like on my mind because i just left ohio and uh this family member was like uh, uh, called me an idiot at least three times while i was there called me selfish and i'm just looking at him like okay i'm selfish i'm an idiot like can we please continue this conversation now like are you done with the name calling now can we continue the conversation wow and uh yeah it's like but i have to also like love that person from a distance but i gotta be around them sometimes and i do i set up boundaries they don't always respect them they want a name call they want to you know make accusations and wh- wh- i mean what am I supposed to do? Take that to heart? Oh, maybe I am selfish. Mm. Maybe I am an idiot.
0: You know, like. Well, there, there's also an understanding. This is when we talk about self awareness. You know enough about yourself. I mean, what if he were to call you Portuguese? Right. Yeah. Okay. Like, like okay, all
1: right.
0: Yeah. First off, that's not an insult. Mm-hmm. And second, um, I'm not. Like I'm not Portuguese, so right. like, what what are you trying to tell me, right? Mm-hmm. Or they're like, "Oh, Ryan, I can't believe you're so Russian." Yeah, no, I'm, I've never <laughs> even been to Russia. I don't <laughs> I have any. Def- de-
1: I wouldn't even defend myself exactly. Right.
0: And so, when someone is acting out in anger, mm-hmm. they're accusing you of something. Here's when it hurts, though. It hurts when we. It hurts one of two things. One is if we believe it, but ultimately, the deeper layer b- below that, even if we do believe it, it doesn't have to hurt. You know why? Because if we don't need it to be another way. Of course, I'm an idiot. Mm. I'm an idiot in so many ways. If my car breaks down on the side of the road, I'm a total idiot and mm. trying to fix the engine. Yeah. Right. And so, yes. So what? I'm an idiot. Mm. And what does that do? If I, oh, the only problem is I need to be perceived as not an idiot. I need to be understood. Mm. I need to be better. I yeah. need to be more significant in your eyes. I need to be, well, I need you to validate me. Mm. Otherwise, I'm an invalid. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, if I try to do that with everyone, I'm always going to feel invalidated Mm. because I'm not going to ever get everyone's validation that I want. Yeah. We have a question here from, let's do Caitlin's question.
2: When you have high emotional intelligence, how do you ensure you don't inadvertently use it for manipulation or come off as manipulative to others?
1: I, you know, man, this is one of those words. It's not good or bad. Yes. We're constantly manipulating. That's right. If I'm telling Mariah I love her, I want her to know that I love her. Uh, if yes. I'm if I'm if I'm doing something for her, uh making a meal or whatever it is, like I'm going out of my way, taking her out on a date, I'm manipulating her. Right. But it's not, it's not in a
0: disingenuous way. So maybe that's the question. It's not coercive either. Right. Manipulation is often coercive. Mm -hmm. And that's how you would unlove someone Mm -hmm. is to coerce them into doing something that they don't want to do. Trying to change them actually means you hate the person. Mm. If you want someone to change, you don't love who they are. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it's an unloving posture. Now, one might actually make the argument here that to coerce someone or to manipulate someone in the way that Caitlin's talking about is emotionally unintelligent anyway, Mm. because if you're intelligent enough emotionally, then you'd have no desire to manipulate others because what you're doing when you manipulate them is saying, I need to have power over you. I need dominion over you Mm. in, in order for me to be happy. Or here's a lot of hubris, which is really emotionally unintelligent, is oh, I know what's best for you. I, even though if you don't recognize it, I know what's best for you. I know yeah. if I, we just make these decisions together, this would be better for you. And maybe it would, but a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Yeah. Dale Carnegie. It makes me think of, uh, there's this show called The Shrink Next Door
1: with Paul Rudd and Will Ferrell. Okay. Really good, man. And it's a true story about okay. the shrink who manipulates a patient, basically.
0: I saw a billboard for this at one point.
1: Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, the, the fascinating thing about it is it's a true story, but you see this shrink who essentially manipulates someone for their own personal gain. And it's at the patient's detriment. So what you just described was exactly how it comes across. I know I'm, I, I'm the one who knows what you need. You don't know what you need. Mm. and uh. That I think that is when that is when manipulation turns um, evil in a way, really, or uh, or yeah, it turns into coercion. Is when you are putting someone else at a, a, when you are doing something, uh, making someone else do something at their detriment for your own personal gain. Like that is where you can look at it and be like, okay, this probably isn't the right thing to do.
0: Yeah, or if you are just making someone else do anything in general. Yeah, because it's easy for us to justify and say, oh, yeah, this isn't to their detriment. But my yeah. desire to change you says a whole lot more about me than it does about who you are as a person. Yeah. Not only do I have perfect ownership of myself, but I need to have a little bit of ownership over you mm. in order for me to manipulate you, mm. to coerce you, to persuade you to be more like me. Yeah. All kinds of hubris in that. Mm. We gotta be careful. And if we let go of the the hubris, we let go of the desire to change other people. Now, why do we try to change other people? Is because quite often we're so afraid of looking inward and changing ourselves. Mm. It's so much easier yeah. to change Danny or Alabama or Jacob or Podcast Sean or Jordan. Well, in theory. <laughs> In theory, it's easier for us to move our hands around as though we're doing something productive. Right. As though being productive was the goal in the first place. It's absurd. We don't want to be more productive, especially with the people in our lives. The people in our lives are not products. Mm. And our love is not transactional. Coercing someone is trying to change them to meet. My standards. Yeah. But what if they have completely different standards from me? They have different desires. They have different interests. They're a completely different person and they are complete without me. I don't need to drag them where I am. You mentioned compassion earlier. What does that mean? Calm and pass us to be with someone during their suffering. Mm. To be with someone during their suffering, not to suffer like them, mm. not to suffer with them but to be with them and acknowledge that we're all suffering in some way. Yeah, We have a question here from David.
2: Is there a correlation between a decreasing emotional intelligence threshold and rigorous hustle? Another way to put it, is there a point where you receive diminishing returns or possible burnout when you grind too hard?
0: I think the short answer to this is yes, but there's actually some data around this as well. Mm. So I'm going to go back to this article, Ryan, about the toxicity of hustle culture. And it talks about the impact here. By forcing workers to, quote, go hard or go home, hustle culture puts the body in a state of fight or flight. Mm. This constant stress releases the stress hormone called cortisol in higher amounts and... For more prolonged periods, so this is happening. We are cortisol junkies now. And we often call it. Yeah, you know, there's this term. It's a thrown around term. It's almost 99 percent of the time, 98 percent of the time, something like that. It's nonsense. Adrenal fatigue. Mm. People don't ex- don't really experience adrenal fatigue. They they are experiencing. Constant cortisol dumps From all of the stress The anxiety The hustling Mm. That's going on To normalize These elevated cortisol levels The body must enter A state of rest But what hustle culture Doesn't allow Is time for rest Then burnout Is inevitable This continuous stress can be harmful to both your mental and physical well-being. Prolonged elevated cortisol levels are associated with various detrimental effects, including anxiety, depression, heart disease, memory impairments, and more. Research has shown that increased stress levels lead to reduced professional productivity. That's the key here, Ryan. Mm. If we're constantly stressing the people out around us... Mm -hmm by heaping our expectations onto them, by hurrying, busy, 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 we're actually being less productive. Now, mm. we ape the forms of so-called productivity by keeping our hands moving like a an automaton or a factory robot is constantly moving around, mm. but we're not robots. Mm. Well, most of us aren't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Beep boop. Dude, this question to me is asking... Like, when, it almost like, is, when is it worth the hustling? And, you know, that's not an answer that Josh and I can give. There are symptoms. So, you know, um, when I think about leaving the corporate world, um, trying to pay off debt, trying to go to college at the same time, like there was a level of hustling that I had to do mm. for a short period of time to make things work and to get to where I wanted to go. And sometimes the more I did, like the closer, the faster I would get to where I'm trying to go. But the problem is, is like, I or not the problem. The solution was I had somewhere to go. Yeah. So, you know, if you're hustling and you have like a very clear vision of where that's going, then, then hustle your butt off. Who cares? The problem is when, yes, you're experiencing the, 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 the cortisol, uh, uh, the heaps of cortisol and when you're experiencing stress and anxiety and it's ruining your relationships and it's, and it's starting to make you a little edgy and emotional, like that's where, Maybe it isn't worth it, or maybe you do need to slow things down. So, is it wrong to hustle? No. Uh, is it is it right to
0: hustle? Yes, maybe. You know, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. So, is it wrong to hustle? And is it right to hustle? Maybe. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, and it really depends on. It's so highly contextual, mm, situational, it is, individual. Yeah. And, and we don't think about it that way. It's We want to think of these things in binary. Hustling is bad. We should all be monks living in peace. But let's be honest. Most of us don't value peace. Right. If we did, yeah. we wouldn't be living the lives that we're living. We wouldn't be going into debt to buy a car that takes us to the job to pay for the car that we grew into debt. And so we have all of these, these issues that we're creating. These are self-imposed issues that are disrupting our peace, disrupting Mm. our freedom. And so if you value those things, it's pretty difficult to value hustle culture. Now, as you said, there's a difference between hustling and hustle culture. Yes. So if you're hustling, like our friend Erwin talks about, and it's not hurried, but it's a devotion to something that is so compelling, you can't not do it. Mm. You're going to feel fulfilled. Yeah. Yeah, you might be tired, You might even experience a little stress every now and then. But it's not the constant cortisol dump that you would experience by constantly hustling. And as you also said, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. You know what you're working toward. Hustle culture is working toward a horizon that never Arrives. Yeah. Because as soon as you get to that horizon, there's always a new horizon. So you keep hustling, you keep grinding, you keep toiling, you keep giving it 110%, but then you get to the next horizon and there's always another horizon mm-hmm. and you're dumping cortisol all along the way. No wonder you're going to be burned out no time soon. Yeah. Or anytime soon. Real, real, real soon. Um, let's talk about some added value since I, I brought up mewing on the minimal episode. hmm Anyway, I found this so fascinating because up until recently, researchers really thought it was all about genetics, about how our jaw lines are. When you see people with crooked teeth or giant overbites like what I have or um, just real soft jaw lines, you... um, you saw yeah, that just must be their genetics. Mm. and of course that's partially true. Sure. Ryan, you have really good genes with respect to you have a, a big broad jawline. Oh this old thing <laughs> <laughs> And um, with that with that jawline, mm. you know, part of its genetics, mm-hmm. but also it has to do with how we we have muscles here. In fact, the strongest muscle in your body is, is this masticator muscle right here. Dude, we literally have enough strength to crush our own teeth. But there's a mechanism in our brain that like stops us from doing that. Wow. But that's how strong the, the muscle yeah, is. So this muscle in particular, the one that tends to atrophy, though, is we rarely chew with our front eight teeth. Mm. And so with mewing, one of the things you do, one of the five things, we'll put a link to that Matt Phelps video in the show notes for folks. But... um one of the things that has to do with chewing hard things so I, I chew mastic gum now in fact he has this gum that he sells called steel jawline gum or something you, you can get you can just go to Amazon and get mastic gum as well it's some of it's kind of sticky and chewy and weird but you have to kind of get used to it. Mm. But I've been doing it for like 40 minutes. And you feel like you're working these muscles here that, oh, these are so underused, right? If you're watching the video version, it's like just my muscles toward the front of my mouth on my jaw. But then also tongue posture is so important. Hmm. So the tide for the most uh, strong muscle in your body per square inch or whatever is your tongue tongue muscle, right? Hmm. And we have terrible tongue posture. In fact, our tongues relative to our ancestors thousands of years ago, have atrophied significantly because we're not chewing the same way and we don't rest the same way. So part of mewing is nose breathing with the appropriate tongue posture in your mouth. Mm. So if you, when you swallow, like I'm going to swallow right now, wherever your tongue ends up at the very end, that's where your tongue should be throughout the day naturally, right? So go ahead and swallow it for me real quick. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is where my tongue is supposed to be. It rests against the roof of your mouth. Mm. Doesn't touch your front teeth, but it's against the palate there. I just found this really fascinating because we often talk about with minimalism getting back to our nature, Mm. and we don't think about how we sort of ruined our modern diet, which is highly processed, very soft foods. We're putting everything into smoothies. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with getting a smoothie, but recognizing we're not chewing the same way that our ancestors did. Mm. And so when our jaws are out of whack, and it causes a whole lot of problems with crooked teeth with uh, pain and with the you know, the reason we have to have our wisdom teeth taken out even mm. you go to tribes like the Maasai that they're not they never have had a wisdom tooth taken out mm. and the reason that we need them taken out is cuz we've narrowed our jaw lines in a way and so i just found this really fascinating i thought other people might find some value in it as well you can check out the video from Matt Phelps that's our added value segment this week i suppose we should do We should turn back to the live stream here. See if we have any more questions before we sign off.
2: We have one more question from Taylor. What are your thoughts on the phrase, act your age?
1: (laughs) I I think it presupposes that there's a way to act for a specific age. And yeah, I mean, I really act your age means, uh, anytime that's used really means like, hey, like be mature, Mm -hmm. grow up. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the 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 words "act your age" is is preposterous. Huh. The sentiment, though, is um, you know be mature. Like, and I think that there's a totally appropriate time to be mature and an appropriate time to not be mature.
0: Yeah, if we really understand what maturity is, mm-hmm. right. It has nothing to do with being stuffy and, oh, I guess I'm not allowed to have fun anymore or whatever. No, I mean, when you see some people who are really living in the moment, quite often they're in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and they've let go of the expectations of the other people around them. So maybe acting your age really just means, as Ryan said, becoming more mature. Well, what's one of the ways to become more mature? No longer need that respect, that validation, the irony of that Mm. is when you no longer need it, you actually get a whole lot more respect from the people around you. Yeah, I do like, like, I I like uh, what Dave Ramsey says. He says, act your wage. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) Because we live in a culture that prizes going into debt. Danny and I were talking about this earlier. He went to go buy a new long sleeve t-shirt and it said, you know, pay with four easy payments for a t-shirt. And you know, I, Shopify and all these other places are doing this, allowing you to break up your payments. Yeah. To go into debt to buy a shirt, you may not pay off by the time it's already worn out. Mm. But of course, that's happening with cars now. The average car payment is about $500 for an 84-month car loan. Good God. 84 months, that's seven years, right? Yeah. So, rarely in this culture do we keep car for seven years. I know. $42,000. I do. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you think about how much money you're spending on things that are making you miserable, Mm -hmm. you're not acting your wage. And so if you want to act your age, maybe one way to think about it is act your wage. What's another way to say that? Live within your means. Mm. Spend less than you make. That's one way to Decrease the misery that's being heaped upon you. Well, it's interesting because,
1: in a lot of ways, I want to stay childlike. Yes. And what it helps me, and what this question helps me, is uh, kind of uncover here is that being childlike doesn't necessarily mean being immature. Like, immaturity has to do with not having emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And the more mature you get, the more emotional intelligence you have. But being childlike doesn't
0: necessarily mean being immature. That's right. In fact, being childlike, there's a particular wisdom in that. Mm -hmm. We use the word sensitive earlier because someone was, you know, how how do I do this without being perceived Mm -hmm. as overly sensitive? But who are the most sensitive to the world? Children. Now, they're sensitive in a way where they are truly living in the moment, not prescriptively. But they're experiencing the sights, the sounds, the smells, the tastes, the kinesthetics of everything that's going on around them. You can see a child playing in a field, chasing a butterfly. And it's one of the most amazing things because they're so sensitive Mm -hmm. to the world around them. It doesn't require a box of toys. It doesn't require a bigger Christmas tree. It doesn't require more stuff or more admiration, or more success, or more achievement, or planning for the future. It's happening all around them right now. So when we talk about being childlike, what we're really talking about is our desire to live right now, not stare in the rear view Mm. and constantly worry about the things that happened in the past and how I could have done that differently. We're constantly looking to that horizon. How am I going to get to that horizon? I need the plan. I need goals. I need objectives. I need a target. You're stressing me out, man. (laughs) Ah, Well, thankfully, you know what it means to be childlike. Mm -hmm. Well, patrons, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah. We will see you next week. By the way, we have two live streams. If you're watching the live stream right now, we have two more live streams next week. Man, we're going to have a difficult conversation next Tuesday. If you're listening to the recording, it'll be out in three or four weeks with uh, Julie Wilson. Her husband committed suicide. And I want to talk about battling brokenness. Hmm. And so we're going to be talking about that uh, in the new year because it's that time where people start making these New Year's resolutions, these goals, these a lot of the things that make us feel miserable about ourselves. I need to live up to this. yeah. And so we're going to talk about depression. Also, uh, we're doing an episode about paper clutter as well. A separate episode about paper clutter. So look forward to both of those in the new year. Patrons, thank you so much. Love yes. people. Use things. We'll see you soon.